Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friends in Fiction, our weekly Facebook live show featuring author chats in support of independent bookstores. Five best-selling authors, endless stories. So let's get started. We have so much to talk about tonight. I'm Patty Callahan-Henry, and I'm your host tonight, and my latest book is Becoming Mrs. Lewis. Hi, I'm Mary Alice Monroe, and my latest novel is On Ocean Boulevard. I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and my latest novel is Hello, Summer. I'm Kristen Harmel, and my latest novel is The Book of Lost Names. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey, and my latest novel is Feels Like Falling. And this is Friends in Fiction, and we are so glad that you're here tonight. In a minute, we'll be welcoming our guest, Signe Pike. So before she shows up, I want to tell you a little bit about her and a little bit about what we have coming up. So Signe Pike was born in Ithaca, New York, and graduated from Cornell University with her Bachelor of Science in Communication. She worked as an acquisitions editor at Random House and then Penguin before leaving to write her first book, Fairy Tale, One Woman's Search for Enchantment in a Modern World. It's amazing. Pike has spent the past 10 years researching and writing about Celtic history, myth, folklore and tradition, her love of history, the great outdoors, early medieval and ancient archeology, span which is a tongue twister, and her dedication to historical accuracy has made her social media feeds an informative delight to her readers. Signe teaches seminars and workshops internationally on writing and publishing, as well as on folklore and tradition. Her writing has been published by Salon, Book Riot, NPR, lots of others. This is her official bio, but her unofficial Patty Callahan bio is this. She is magical and her work shows it. From Celtic mythology to pure enchantment, she just might be a Celtic creature herself, the wild and wonderful Signe Pike. And we have so much to talk about, but real quick before we get rolling, as everyone out there knows, Every week, and part of our mission at Friends in Fiction is to support independent booksellers. So I want to remind you that this week, Signe has chosen Blue Bicycle Books in Charleston. You can head over to our Friends in Fiction page to find a link to Blue Bicycle Books, where you'll find all our recent releases at 10% off, including Signe's book, The Forgotten Kingdom. 
with the code FRIENDS. And if you order from Blue Bicycle, there is a special offer and giveaway that's coming from Signe later in the show. So do not go anywhere so you can hear about that. So without any more blathering from me, welcome <laughs> to the Celtic preacher herself, the wild and wonderful Signe Pike. Signe! Hello. 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 Hello, everyone. <laughs> I'm so excited for tonight. I'm so excited. I feel like we haven't gotten to do something like this since pre-COVID days. So this is kind of a treat to do with all of you tonight. Yeah. It's as good as it can get right now. That's what we say. Mm -hmm. So Signe, I know that during the pandemic, you were also homeschooling. Mm -hmm. God, Lord Almighty, if that's what you want to call it, with your little son. And so tell us about what you have been doing during the pandemic. This book is so deeply researched. How in the world... Did you do this with a little one at home? How was the pandemic for you? Well, luckily I had finished most of it before the pandemic, but I think I ended up having to finish sort of the last half as things were all happening. Um, and I just wrote when um, I split custody, I wrote when he wasn't with me. And when he was with me, I tried to be as present as I could and um, try to put the book to the side. But I was talking last night at my reading I did at Buxton Books about how um, virtually about how I was sort of living in two worlds during that time because my head was, you guys know how this is, I'm sure. Your head is still completely in the novel and you're just trying to like remember how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, while you're thinking about all this other stuff in half of the 6th century. Yeah, so it was really tricky. Um, and it, it, it was a, a push for sure, but I don't think I've ever felt more proud of myself that I was able to accomplish it. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. I remember talking to you during it and and we were all trying to figure out how to manage COVID and Christy and Kristen both have a little one at home, but it's you y'all are superheroes. I don't know how you ended up doing all of that. So, how about the rest of you? I know this has been like an incredibly busy work week for all of us, rounding out projects, finishing projects, and it shaped our days. And it's been kind of a hard week for some of us me plowing through some things that needed finishing and so a couple times this week while we were all trying to muddle through I kept thinking about something that is asked on our friends and fiction page all the time which is what would you be doing if you hadn't pursued writing Catherine Mary Kay tell us you know, um, I was a newspaper reporter and I thought that I thought I would live and die. I thought they would carry me out of a newspaper building feet first. Um, yeah. I, so I don't know, maybe I'd be an antique dealer, but I, I'm really not so good with the money part of <laughs> I'm good at, I can see that. I'm good at I, the buying stuff part, but I, I'm not so good of, at letting go. I can see that. So how about you, Mary Alice? What, what would you be well, doing? I was a teacher and I think I would probably be teaching, but I would move over to um, environmental education. Obviously, that's where I've gone. I would love to run programs, say, at the aquarium or for some nonprofit. I think that would be very cool. How about you, Christy? There's just no telling. <laughs> so I was actually working in finance when I started um, writing. I mean, I went to journalism school. I had sort of a journalistic background and I was still doing some freelance writing. Um, so maybe I would have ended up in that arena, but 
I was really seriously considering um, going to get my PhD when I started writing fiction. And my husband very wisely was like, if you really want to write fiction, why don't you try to write fiction? You can always go back and get your PhD. That will be waiting for you. So at least see if this will work out, you know, before um, you kind of dive into something that you're not really sure if you want to do, especially a commitment of that size. So those are very wise words. And still I hear at here I still am. So I'm very grateful. But I mean, who knows, I could still be working in finance. I mean, I don't know. A P you have a PhD in novels, love. That's what yes. You know, I feel like I would definitely be doing something related to wine. I'm so interested in wine oh, and wine. Wow. It's it's as I take a sip of mine. <laughs> I know I don't have a glass of wine. Oh <laughs> you know, I have um a friend who runs a bookstore in St. Pete that opened um, actually right at the beginning of the pandemic. It's called Book and Bottle, and it is a bookstore bookstore slash wine bar wine store. Perfect. Which to me, I think would just be the dream job: being able to teach people about wine. She's training to be a sommelier, um, but also being able to share books with people. So I think that's what I'd be doing. Perfect. I can see that too. Okay, Signe, what would you be doing? Uh, well, I really miss editing books. So definitely, I think I would still be behind a desk in New York City editing books. Um, I've, it's been something that I miss. And I did do some freelance when I first moved to Charleston before I got too busy with my own writing. Um, and I kind of hope to go back to it someday. But the other thing I would love to do is to own a tiny little pub or inn in Scotland where writers and musicians can come. I talk to Mary Alice and Patty and I about this, about this all the time. Um, and we would have a little garden because it's like a co-op. So it's all three of us. Plus you guys can come. Right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, getting a little, a little will be our sommelier. Yes. Yoga teacher certification. I can teach yoga to our patrons. And Christy can so do finances. Christy can also do burning That's true. I'll take people on bird trips. I think we should do this. And then all our friends and fiction viewers can come visit okay. at our pub. <laughs> I think owning a pub and running it is what a friend of mine who grew up on a farm said. People who've never lived on a farm think it's romantic to have a farm. And yeah. I bet it's the same way with the pub. Yeah, um, my mother had an Irish pub in, in uh, New Orleans and it's nonstop work. But Patty, what would you be doing? Oh, wow. I, I, was, I was asking the question. Um, Your question. I can ask the question if I want. I know. That's, I know. But then you stumped me. You know, my career was I was a nurse. So I, I'm sure that that's probably what I'd still be doing. But and I've often told Christy this. My hobby is decorating and designing. I'm not that great at it. But I don't know. I bet I would still yes, be in you are. I bet I would still be in very working. So, and I loved it. I love being a nurse. So I'd mm -hmm. probably still be doing something. I probably wouldn't be in the hospital, probably be at a doctor's office or something, but yeah, it's, um, you know, at the worst of our times, we were all texting each other. And I know Signe, you join us in this thought is that we were lamenting half joking. Why did we choose this career? And I said, I texted back, I don't think we chose it. I think it chose us. Yeah. So it's always interesting to think about what we'd be doing if we weren't doing this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
Okay, Signe, we have so many questions for you. But before we get started, you tell us all about the Forgotten Kingdom. But I want to share with our watchers and readers and members the incredible book trailer that you had made. Cue the book trailer <laughs> with sound. <laughs> oh, you can hear it. Just imagine really climactic music. Okay. Okay. It's on my website too. Um, cloppity cloppity. I'm making the horse clop noises. Wasn't that, that great? Was good. Yeah. yeah, that was really good. That, that, was, you could, that could be your next career. Yeah. Special to lead her to the throne, the forgotten kingdom. Bum, 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 bum. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sydney, I, the video told us a little bit. Tell us about the forgotten kingdom. I know it's the second in the Lost Queen trilogy. So tell us a little bit about it. So the first thing that's really um, exciting to talk about about these books is that um, there are some historical figures from the sixth century that scholars agree existed. And Langorith of Kadzow um, was married to one of them, but she herself has never really been acknowledged. Um, but she was, as far as we know, a real queen. She would have been one of the most powerful queens in sixth century Scotland. And she made some really powerful enemies in her life, um, which caused her, I think, to uh, be swept under the rug and her name was maligned and she was only remembered in a little scrap of Glasgow folklore about a fish in a ring as an adulteress. I mean, and that is as old as the Bible, isn't it? If we want to talk about Mary Magdalene, et cetera. But um, so these books are um, a reimagining of Langora's life. And so as such, they're, as far as I'm concerned, they're historical fiction. Um, and The Forgotten Kingdom is the second book in the trilogy and the first book was told all from Langora's point of view. But what's so exciting about The Forgotten Kingdom is that um, now the world of the Lost Queen is sort of burst wide open because we're getting to see and experience Scotland all the way down from the Scottish borders up to Orkney through the perspectives of three different characters, one of them being um, her twin brother, Lilacan, who some people think uh, is the uh, man who inspired the legend of Merlin. He's yeah. a historical figure who inspired the legend of Merlin. So that's, wow. that's essentially the Forgotten Kingdom in a nutshell. You know, it gives, it never ceases to give me chills. Um, Mary Alice will talk about it in a second, but um, when Signe first talked about writing this book and she started talking about the research in this lost queen, Mary Alice and I were like leaning forward, write it, write it. Why aren't you writing it? Why aren't you writing this book? So, Signe, we're each going to ask you a question, but I'm going to start off by asking you the question we ask all of our guests. It's my favorite question. And because I know some of your fascinating family history, tell us about the family values around reading and writing when you were growing up. Oh, that's a great question. So my father was a at first a creative writing student at Cornell University and then went on to try to get his dissertation there, um, his PhD in creative writing, but never finished his dissertation 
And so he just moved over and became a senior lecturer in the business school. But that kind of deadened him. And, and he had such a passion and a love for literature that he could quote Beowulf and Chaucer from memory. He was a really spectacular man. He's since passed away. But um, so he really loved books. And my mother also was a huge, she was an English major. And that's how she met my father. He was her teacher. When she was 19, they got married. And so um, we just grew up with, you know, books were just a primary focus in our lives and stories. And it was as though my father was trying to download as much information into my brain as possible. And I still have a memory of being six or seven or eight years old and sitting on the living room couch. And he was trying to discuss with me the Anglo-Saxon invasion. And I was completely bored, like (laughs) so bored. And um, he would get so upset with me that I wasn't like as a (laughs) year old, really interested in learning about, you know, the conquering of the British Isles. And now I'm just, you know, (laughs) wishing. But um, so that was it. And he would do really cool stuff, like take us for walks in the woods. And we would sit on a log in the woods in autumn in upstate New York, which is just beautiful. The trees are all glorious. And we would eat apples after school and we would um, sit and read C.S. Lewis on a log in the forest. And so to me growing up, I think Narnia was all around. I know Patty and I connect a lot over that and our love of C.S. Lewis. And um, so, yeah, I think I grew up with this, the, the world of books was everywhere around me. You know, I felt like I was always stepping into a story and I think I carried that into adulthood too. Ah. <sighs> Chill bump, beautiful. Pike, yeah. Oh wow, <laughs> yeah. And and look, if, if he could see you now writing about this, your father, I think how how proud he is that you're writing about it, this. It, it's like you had it all imbued in you, and it just fermented until you grew up, because now it's bubbling out. That's amazing. That yeah, only took forty years, you know. <laughs> you know sometimes I the things do. Rushed. That's right. Fine wine, right, Kristen? <laughs> fine wine and sommeliers, Kristen. I know you had a question for Sydney. Yeah, Sydney, I'm just so interested in the research you do. Um, and I know Patty mentioned in the intro that you had spent what ten years researching before you'd even started the first book. Um, so, can you just talk us through a little bit about your writing and your research process, and specifically what they looked like for this book? I think you know all of us do a lot of research, and but nowhere near that. So it's um, really interesting to hear about. I think. Yeah. Well, so I think the research in the Celtic world started when I was writing fairy tale because I started to delve into um, the idea of nature spirits from a skeptic's perspective and what were they. Um, because I certainly didn't believe in fairies anymore. I was I was a grown up. But um, what I discovered, spoiler alert, but actually this is kind of better for people coming into fairy tale who might think that it's like a silly journey um, to research fairies. What I actually discovered was that um, fairies are actually an ancient uh, folkloric memory of Celtic gods. And when Christianity came into the British Isles, they literally, um, the religion literally pushed fairies, pushed the Celtic gods underground, and they became residents of the burial mounds. And there was a memory that they were attached to, like, the ancient culture. You would find them in burial mounds and... Um, stone circles and all of these ancient places because they were connected to that 
previous culture. And they really were just spirits of place because the Celts believed in these like ancient spirits of place, like rivers were gods and goddesses, mostly goddesses. But so um, that was a part of it. And then writing The Lost Queen took about six years from start to finish um, because of life and the writing process. I'd never written fiction before. And what was amazing, I think I was really fortunate in that Patty mentioned that she and Mary Alice were around that first night. And when I spoke about wanting to write the book and they said, do it, we have your back, we're going to help you. And so, you know, both of them throughout the writing process, gave me a mini crash course in how to write, history, how to write fiction. Um, Cause I could teach it as an editor, but I'd never done it myself. And then I went, I was able to go over there and go to the sites. Kristen, that was the coolest part. And that's what changed everything was to get to, I had to write the scene, uh, the opening scene of the book without having ever been to this place, um, Shadow Haro outside of Glasgow. And what was really eerie was when I finally got the chance to go and scraped and saved and, you know, finally got there. It was exactly as I had pictured it. Wow. Down to the ferns and everything. It was really amazing. Wow. That's amazing. Seems like it was the story you were meant to write. That's incredible. I hope so. It's felt like it. It really has felt like it. I feel like since finding this, I've just found my place and my voice in writing and in life in general. Do you have any, um, in, in terms of ancestors that go back to Scotland or those areas? I'm thinking of genetic memory here. Yeah, you know, I that's a question I get asked a lot. Mm. And it's really interesting. As far as I know, I mean, I'm just, I'm part, half Russian and half Scandinavian. Um, but my mother has told me that um, one of my ancestors was a Viking. And there's a lot of ah. Swedes coming over yeah. in the era, um, sure, sure. In the north of Scotland. So it could be that some of my ancestors ended up there. Yeah, you know. I, I think that I mean, it just seems to bubble out of you. So. I can't explain my connection to the place, but it does feel like home when I go there. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, Christy Woodson Harvey, I know you have this amazing question for Sydney. Yes, I do. Um, so, The Forgotten Kingdom, your new book, is the sequel to the the. The Lost Queen, I'm sorry, I cannot see. Moving a number of years ahead and containing additional perspectives. How did the process of writing a sequel differ from drafting the first book in the series? I felt like writing the sequel was somehow easier, although it wasn't the ideal time to be writing the book and it took me longer than I imagined. Um, Because I've learned how to write fiction already, don't you think we're all always learning new new things, right? So it's not you're, you're done and now you're a fiction writer. Um, but I was, ex- I was excited to try new perspectives and um, new points of view. And um, so, yeah, that was really a huge part of it. Um, and then I didn't want it to just be what they call a bridge book. You know, in a trilogy, mm-hmm. there's that dreaded sophomore novel, the bridge book. It's the book that comes between one and the next, but nothing really, there's no real arc and a start and a finish. That's kind of the danger that a lot of books fall into. And I yeah. I had to just trust the story and just go into it. And I'm a very, I write really intuitively. So I knew the historical points that had to be in there, um, but I didn't know where it was going to end until I finally reached the ending in the draft. So that was kind of exciting. That that's really, 
Yeah. That's such a good point. I wrote a trilogy and that middle book, it really is stressful because you're like, you have to figure out where am I going to pick up and where am I going to leave off? But I'm like, you, I don't outline or anything. So it was, I was like, oh my gosh, I just hope this works out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it obviously did for you. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, the book just came out yesterday. So people will let me know, hopefully on Goodreads and say nice things. <laughs> yeah. They should only have anything nice to say. No, yeah. Only say nice things, y'all. All of you out there watching, only say if you, you can say ugly things to yourselves and to the people around you, but do not do not post a nasty review and tag the author. Oh and yeah, that's here. the worst. Yeah, the worst. Like your mama said, you know, only nice things. Yeah, that's like walking up to someone on the street and saying, "Oh, I hate your shoes." Don't do that. Way <laughs> worse. Yeah. One day what we're going to do, I forget which one of us had the idea, but we're going to come on here and read our most horrific tag reviews. No, Mary Kay, said, that's what I wanted to do for my episode, for my Just Us episode. And Mary Kay said she did not want to do that. <laughs> okay, let's do it. I don't know. Why would you pay attention to me, Christy? <laughs> because you're, you're, you're so smart and you're usually right. No. <laughs> Okay, okay. Yeah. what's your question for Sydney? My question, Patty. I said I think we should do one of those. We should all take our worst Goodreads reviews, and maybe I could read someone else's. But and we read we read them, and then you actually compare them to a classic book because have you guys ever seen the one star yeah. reviews for really amazing books? Yeah, um, and one-star reviews. There's yeah. no excuse for a one-star review. That's just usually someone who has sour grapes, or yeah. you know, that's not a real review. It's like, or, or it doesn't clean your carpet, or whatever it was, Christy. <laughs> yes, yes. I got a one-star review, and it was like, this started out okay, but it does not cling to my carpet. And I was like, a one-star for a one or the, one, the ones where they get the books and uh, it's been damaged in shipping. Yes. yes. And they give you a book a one-star review because it came damaged. It's like, yeah. what? Yeah. I don't think you but understand the concept of review. <laughs> but it okay, does now, kind of take the power away when you share them. You know, it really does. I have a question I am supposed to ask. Um, but there's a question I want to ask more than the one I'm supposed to ask. Go for that one. That is, Go for it. has asked it already. And uh, I'll tell you who it is. It's a reader who says, um, how do you be decide to end and begin a chapter in a book you are writing? And I think this is really appropriate um, with historic fiction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a feeling um, when yeah. I'm writing it. Um, I go through the, the dips and I go through the, the, there's that sort of, there's the summit and then there's the dips in the valleys that happen throughout the scene. And you feel, I think I feel anyway, the conclusion of it. And then I also can sense too, when I'm ready to move on, when I'm ready to move on to that next scene. And what was so great about writing from three points of view is that there's always something happening. I think the pacing in the forgotten kingdom um, has really benefited from being able to just pick up in someone else's story. And it felt so freeing to be able to pick up wherever I wanted to in that next mm -hmm. installment. Do you, so try to, do you try to end a chapter on a cliffhanger or even um, stop it a little ahead of the cliffhanger so the reader is saying to themselves, oh my God, what happens next? 
I tend to bring it to a point where you feel okay leaving that character. At least I do. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I love, though, about Harry Potter is how, do you remember reading Harry Potter for the first time, how J.K. Rowling just kept you turning those pages because she would leave it on a cliffhanger. But I think if you can't do it with the finesse that she did, it becomes a little gimmicky. So I, I try to leave people with a sense of, okay, this character's, they're okay. They're they're not in peril anymore, but we don't quite know what's going to happen next. But I think that's a lot of it's a rhythm. Mm-hmm. But I think that's also key. when I have to pee. When I have to pee, I'm ending the chapter. What I wanted to say was I think with, with your story in particular in the Forgotten Kingdom, there's so many like you said, perils and battles and things happening that you're like holding your breath for so much. It is nice to say, okay, he's fine now and I can go somewhere else because it's a different kind of story. There's so much action in your book. Yeah. And they're real events. I mean, that's, that's what I think is so much fun about these books is that, um, the, the tiny little dips and plot twists that happen to the characters, not so much, but every sort of raid and battle is an actual historical event that really took place. Yeah. Mary Alice, I know you have a question, so keep keep it rolling. Yeah, it's a perfect segue. Um, one of all those historical facts and details that you have regarding the battles makes such great historic fiction. But what I really love about your work is that you take us into your story world. You're a real story world builder. So I smell the scents when she gathers the herbs to prepare. Um, I really loved early on when they were at the stone circle and I never knew that there were auras around the circles because of the people who were buried beneath. Like those details really brought me into the world and that's historic fiction. But because as you said, you wrote about this real queen, Queen Langorath, but her brother, her twin brother, Lylokin, Lylokin, mm-hmm. who is known as Merlin, that often makes people misunderstand that your book is a fantasy and it's historic fiction. Can you talk about that misconception and talk about the two different genres of fantasy and historic fiction? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to say that I, I don't mind that that people call it historical fantasy so much um, because I think there's an element that we can't we can't ever prove something from the sixth century. We've lost. And this is the problem of oral tradition with the Celts is that we've lost so much of their actual um, rituals that when it comes to those sorts of things, you'll find that I don't, I won't make them up. If I don't know, if I don't have an old charm that I found in a 19th century book from the Highlands, then I'm, I'm not going to put something in the book. I won't just create something. Um, there are mm-hmm. no gods or goddesses in my books that the Celts didn't come from Celtic history. So Amazing. Um, all of the holidays, etc. cetera. Um, I think that what happens is we just tend to think, A, the Merlin issue. Um, Merlin has been turned into a wizard over the 1400 years since he, um, Lilacan lived. And, um, and I think every author who over the centuries, starting with Jeffrey of Monmouth and Thomas Mallory kind of took their own go at it. And the story became incredibly distorted. And it was, 
It was also always treasured, which is what's so amazing about writing about these characters from Arthurian myth is that um, they were so beloved for so many mm-hmm. centuries. And, and to me, I think that speaks to the historical core of who these people were and what they did in their lifetimes, which is what I try to unearth. But I do think that when we write about a pre-Christian religion, for some reason, um, that tends to be seen as fantasy. Whereas if you have a Christian character who prays and then they see the fruit of their prayer come to pass in the text, um, the book is still considered historical fiction. So that is the the area that I sort of have an issue with and that I'm trying to change. I think just I'm, I'm really trying to reconstruct Celtic religion very faithfully. And um, I don't think that the book should be considered fantasy because I'm writing about the mindset of the sixth century person, which was a world where people believed in curses and the power of curses, both Christians and pre-Christians alike believed in that. Mm-hmm. Um, read any hag- hagiography of a saint And you'll see that these saints were doing miracles and working magic as well. Um, So I think that that's just, I'm trying to write from an ancient mindset when a tree was seen to have some sort of, of, of feeling or sense to it and rivers were goddesses. And, and what is it like? I try to put myself and therefore the reader in that world. Um, So is it fantasy? Not to me. But um, and and I think that sixth century Celts would agree they'd probably be on my side with that. So, and you know, with the with, with the research now, such as the language of trees, we're kind of going back a little bit to what you're talking about, what the Druids and Celts believed. I think we've forgotten a great deal about mm-hmm. um, our connection to the land and. Um, one of the things I love to do here in Charleston is I live on the beach and I'll go and walk the beach path. And um, there's all sorts of things that, that you walk past and different, like bee balm is a great example. It's blooming now and um, you can look it up and it's got, it's got medicinal purposes that we don't even remember. So it's mm. interesting. Good point. Good point. And Signe, I, I want to tell everybody because it's so fascinating. When you talk about these things, you make us want to be there. For y'all watching, Signe is doing and has been doing for the last, what, 10 days or so, a tour of Scotland on your Instagram. Mm-hmm. So if you look up Signe Pike's Instagram, you can you can tour some of the places in the book when she did her research trip. I think it's really fascinating. But we're gonna take a quick break to talk about our bookstore of the week. Mary Alice, will you remind everyone about the bookstore of the week and talk about it real quick? I will, thank you. It's um, it's it's one that's very dear to, I think all five of us and Sydney, especially who chose it, Blue Bicycle Books. Yeah. It's located in Charleston and many of us have been hosted by Blue Bicycle Books for events and luncheons. One sad interview, incident happened last summer when the riots in Charleston occurred, they had their front window broken and some books were stolen, which amusingly were some were mine because I happened to have my books in the window at the time. They found some in the street. I guess the rioters weren't reading on Ocean Boulevard too much, <laughs> but they, they cleaned up. And like so many other bookstores, they have been so good about um, 
taking orders online and doing personal deliveries. So it's a really wonderful thing for us to buy our books. They're giving 10% off for all of Sydney's books and all of our books at Blue Bicycle Books if you order from them. It's so great to, su to support this wonderful bookstore who also hosts the largest young adult festival in the country, the Y'all Festival right here in Charleston. And also we have a very special surprise. Signia, are you going to show the beautiful um, feather? I have one. Yes. yes. I have one and I'm not wearing it tonight because it's up in North Carolina. It's so gorgeous. But look how beautiful it looks on Signe. Patty, are you wearing yours? No, it's in, oh, it's in South Carolina. It's, we all have one. I'm wearing feather earrings in honor okay. of Signe, though. But for those who order Signe's The Forgotten Kingdom tonight and this week, they will tally the names and someone will win or she will mail to you this beautiful feather. So not only do you get 10% off and support a great bookstore, if that isn't sweet enough, you get a chance to win this feather. So win, win, win. Yes, and I have to say that that, so the feather is made in partnership with a company in Colorado, Silverhawk Studios, and they are repurposed bison bone that are then painted. Mm. But um, you need to make sure you take it off. Whoever wins, take it off before you go in the sauna or the pool or anything like that because they are natural material and they're porous. But um, they are blessed with sage before we send them out. Um, oh, and, I didn't know that. That's yeah, so we cool. do. Um, which is a really ancient, ancient practice. And this necklace you're seeing now is Langoris Feather, which has a really important place in The Lost Queen, the first book. But the one that I'm wearing tonight is actually on Harad's Feather, and it is a crow feather. And Patty, you know, you can see if it's, it's kind of black if I get closer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Patty and Mary Alice know my partic particular fondness for crows. So it was really exciting to be able to make this feather. Crows are actually a huge symbol in the Forgotten Kingdom. So the winner can pick which they'd like, and it's a $50 value. Uh, the large feather is, yeah. So, And I donate 10% to charity as well. That's great. That's I mean, how could you not want to order that book immediately if you haven't already? It's a great um, story, too. I've, I've read it, and it's just so good. So we have loads of reader questions, but as usual, I don't know why this keeps happening to us. We are, we're running a teeny bit late, but we're going to go through them. So we're going to go through some rapid, quick reader questions. Okay. Uh, Mary Alice, you picked the first yeah, one. Carol Kane says, Signe, what do you want readers to take away from your novels? Well, A, they're historical fiction, which I think we covered. <laughs> and um, B, the fact that there's a lot in history that repeats itself. And I think right now we're in a moment where we can really make a change and start to avoid making some of those mistakes that we've been making for centuries upon centuries. Um, so I would like us to start learning from our mistakes that were made by our ancestors in the past. Awesome. Good answer. How about you, Mary Kay Andrews? You pulled one of the reader questions for I us. I did. Debbie Causey is excited to be here tonight with us, watching you, Signe. And she wants to know what your favorite site in Scotland was when you were doing research. I want to know, too. Ooh, I know, right? Question. Well, I will say that um, there was a site I went in Fortingall. There's an ancient yew tree that's been there for centuries and centuries and centuries. Some people even say it's 2,000 years old. And, or or older. And I set in the book, there is um, a colony of priestesses there 
And I would say that was a really amazing site. And that mm-hmm. whole area around Fort and Gall, um, that Glen, um, it's called, it was called then the Glen of the Crooked Stones. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And you can still go there today. It's stunning, stunning. That's amazing. I think we I think I think what's happening here is a Scotland trip. <laughs> yes. Sure. No, Chris, totally. Can you pull us on the live questions? You're necessary. Yes. Um, Patty McMahon Pruitt says, where do you get so many plot ideas? This question could be for anyone. I'm so amazed that you are all so prolific. I'm just polishing out my first novel and have absolutely loved the process and want to write another. But ideas, none, not one. How do your inspirations come to you? I, I kind of want to hear from somebody in this group who's a plotter, because I know a couple of you are, and I'm more, I'm a pantser, so. Wait, wait, you're a no, pantser? That's, that's so, that seems impossible. With wait, the, no, I, I, what you write. I know. Have yeah, I have the elements. Um, and what I'll do is I'll make post-it notes of the historical events that I put on my wall and it becomes very beautiful mind-esque and creepy <laughs> in my office. And then I sit and I don't know how I'm going to get from one post-it to the next. And I just like find and crawl my way and it's ugly and painful and terrible. So, I mean, if anybody has a better way than that, and it's, it comes down to listening, listening to your intuition and getting very still and quiet and starting to try to listen to your story and not block it with all of our own crazy inner criticisms, at least for me. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I do it, but I I'd love to hear from you guys. about. I'm what sorry, you're, you're, a, you're a plotter. That's the definition, because you have the outline. I mean, that's no different than I'm a plotter and I have my outline and I know stages, but I'm a pantser when it comes to actually writing the stuff. You know where you have to go, but the crawling to get there is terrible. It's awful. It's terrible. (laughs) I remember when we, when you, every time I talked to you over a two week period, you were like, I'm still trying to get her to the river. I think you're pretty pantser. Yes, definitely. But I think it's so funny. I was just going to point this out because I think all of us have said this at some point in the past, like week or two, because we're all kind of coming to the end of a project. Like Patty, I know you said it. I know this happened to me like weekend before last where we're just writing, 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 and we don't even know what it is. Yeah. Like we have this, this story and it's coming to us, but we don't know what the story is. And so we're just, I think Mary Kay, you mentioned that too. Like you're, you've got these two different things that are like in your mind. And so I feel like for most of us, probably what we do is we just dive into whatever it is that's like in our head, even though we don't know what it is and it might not feel like a story, but it's something that's going to turn into something God willing. (laughs) I think it's like like watching to see if a seed takes, if it, it, you know, if it, if it germinates, if the seed germinates and starts implanting itself in your mind and you start asking questions and thinking about it and you can't get it out of your head. Um, You know, I was watching television the other night and I got an idea and I started texting it to my agent. (laughs) So the ideas, I think they come from everywhere. To me. How about you, Kristen? Yeah, I think if you're stuck, research is always is always helpful. Um, 
I often, um, midway through researching a book and I find an avenue that I didn't expect at all that turns mm-hmm. out to be a much bigger piece of the plot or a much bigger piece of the finished book than I expected it to be. Um, so to Teddy, who asked that question, I, I would just say whatever you can do to research your story or dive deeper into your story or your characters, mm-hmm. um, do that and then see where your research and your, your imagination take you. I agree. All right, Kristen, actually, since you're on the horn here, can you pull up a live question for us real quick? A rapid fire one? Yes, I also have to say quickly, Hallie Kurrigan says, Mary Kay Andrews, your brother's pub is the best, best roast beef po' boys and good Bloody Marys. That's awesome. I do love a good Bloody Mary. (laughs) Um, All right. Peggy Steele uh, quickly would like to know if you could tell us a little bit about the first book in the trilogy, Sydney. It's The Lost Queen, and it details the early life of Langorith up until about the age of um, 33, and um, how she grew up outside of Glasgow in um, what is now Shadow Haro, but was then called Cadzow Fortress, um, with her father, who was a king, and her brother, who was... Um, a warrior, but also training to become a druid. And in my book, I call them wisdom keepers. It's awesome. Okay, this is my favorite part of the show, honestly, because I feel like I'm, I learn something every week. Signe, give us, we, every episode we try and um, give a writing tip. And we used to say we're giving a writing tip for those out there wanting to write a book, but now we realize we're just selfish and we want it for ourselves. So could you give us a quick writing tip? <laughs> This might help our um, viewer who was asking about starting that next book. What I do is I keep a Word document that has the date and then the number of words that I start with. So day one will be zero, obviously, because that's the worst part. That's where we all start when we start a draft. And then um, each day that I write, I'll sit however long you have to write, whether you've got, you know, 10 minutes or an hour or two hours of the whole day, you just track how your words, you track your word count and each day you tally it up. So the first day you wrote 200 words at your end of your session, you say equals 200. The next day date started at 200, ended at 500. And what it does for me is that it really helps me see that I'm building something. Cause I think we start to feel like, I'm never going to get through this or I'm lost in this scene or I don't know what to write. Just put words on paper. And it's something that I got from um, Stephen King's book on writing and it has helped me write so far. It's a great, mm-hmm. That's a great resource. That's a great resource. That alone. It's a great is- tip. Yeah. I love that tip. That's really good. Cause it does feel daunting. Yeah. You just got to get the words down, you know, and, and then you can revise. Yes. Thank you, Signe. Thank you. Actually, I bet all tomorrow morning we're all going to write down. I don't know. I don't many words. So every week we try to talk about book suggestions or debuts. And Signe, I'm going to ask you in a second if you have one. But all of us here at Friends in Fiction wanted to tell you about this amazing debut that came out in paperback this month. And it is called The Magnetic Girl by the indomitable and amazing Jessica Handler, Her last book was actually a memoir, but this book, The Magnetic Girl, was a Wall Street Journal's 10 best picks, an Indie Next pick, a Starred Kirkus review, a Spring Okra pick, all the things. And it is based on a true historical woman, and it's all atmospheric and electricity, and it centers on Lulu, who is the daughter of a Civil War defector. 
and the sister of Leo, whose developmental challenges she feels responsible for. Lulu conjures magic within herself and makes others believe in it too. It's an astounding novel and all of us wanted to let you know about it. Um, Signe, is there anything you've been loving lately? So I brought two books to show tonight. I am just starting Sumung Kids, uh, The Book of Longings. Awesome. Yes, which I'm very excited about um, because I know that she was a long time in writing this book. Uh, and I read her book, The Invention of Wings. And of course, I read Secret Life of Bees and everything. So I'm excited. The other book I just wanted to share because I thought this was so cool is that my son and I just found this book, The Reluctant Dragon. Oh, it's so cute. I know. It's the 1950s. And we found it in the little free library here on the oh. island where I live. And it's just everything that I like read when I was a child. And so I'm really excited. Asa and I are going to be reading this together soon. That's great. Love that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Did I borrow it? Anybody else have anything they want to call out? Anybody else have a book to talk about? Okay, because we're running late, we're gonna we're gonna keep going. So, Kristen, tell us a little bit. We have loads of fun announcements, um, so don't go anywhere. Kristen, tell us what to expect next week. Sorry, say again you, about the book club. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. And are you so, um, next week? Talk so about. No, I, I am, but I think Christy's talking about next week. Oh, yeah. I switched it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I can talk about next week. I'm, I'm going to be hosting an, an episode uh, next week. Um, it's going to be the five of us friends and fiction authors. Sorry about that, Patty. It's going to be the five of us. Um, and I haven't quite settled on a topic yet, but I think it's going to be something similar to what Patty did last month. We loved just talking about um, kind of our, our fears and what makes us tick and those kinds of things and our failures. That's what we talked about last time. We might talk a little bit this time about the magic we can find in books. Cause I think that's something that, um, that, you know, a lot of you can connect with also. So that's going to be, um, next Wednesday night. And then we're also going to be doing a bonus episode next Sunday, uh, September 27th at 5 PM featuring Christina Lauren, which is actually two people named Christina and Lauren. And they're going to talk to us all about writing together. They write these fabulous, you know, mega best-selling books and they are just the best. You guys are going to love them. Thanks, sweetie. Okay, Mary Kay, this is the big announcement we've all been waiting for. Drum roll. Yeah, so we were cooking up a secret project when you guys weren't paying attention. (laughs) What happened? Um, we are, we saved up our episodes and they have been magically uh, converted into a podcast. And today they were magically uploaded. Um, you will be able to listen to them on all your favorite um, podcast places. But today Amazon started um, doing podcasts. So friends in fiction, you don't have to be here with, with us live on Wednesday nights. We hope you will be, but you can listen to them in your car. You can listen to them when you're like me, when you're out running. <laughs> um, anyway, we're really excited about, about the podcast. So please check it out it's starting today and you and you'll find the links on friends in fiction. We'll, we'll, we'll give you all of those. And if you joined Friends in Fiction um, and said, wait, what do you mean you're on episode 24? What happened to the other? You can go back now and find them on the podcast. And just a little note that if you are a newsletter subscriber, you would have already known that because you would have found out today. So um, Mary Alice, tell us about you now have a title for your book. 
Oh yeah, I'm. You know, my goodness, it's been a while. I'm. I'm have a title for my book coming out in May. It's called. And can I just say thank you, Kristen, who thought of it? Because I went to the Fab Five and I said, oh my gosh, the title I wanted was taken by someone else. And Kristen said, this title, The Summer of Lost and Found. So good. I love it's it. So I love it. So it's coming out. We'll do a cover reveal later on. We have to, I have to wait my turn. And um, I also want to talk a little bit, given the time, of one very special edition. Y'all, we talked about what our auth incredible authors, who they are, who's coming. But on November 25th, and thank you for the segue, Sydney, Sue Monk Kid is coming. She'll be here November 25th with her book, Longing. So we're very excited about that. So when you look at the fall schedule, now we just slipped that right in there. So we Christy, post that for everybody. Oh, we will. One more time. One more so, time. So um, Christy, tell us a little bit about um, the newsletter and the book club and some stuff going on. Yes. Um, don't forget about our newsletter. As Patty said, if you wanted to know Signe's answers to our amazing questions of the week, they were in our newsletter. So if you were not subscribed, you missed out. And also Patty had a great essay this week. Um, and our members have started an amazing book club over at the Friends and Fiction Book Club on Facebook. So you're definitely going to want to join in. They just finished Mary Alice's on Ocean Boulevard. And she's going to be visiting over there all week long and interacting in the group. So when you have questions, if you have any questions for her, anything that you're just dying to know, um, pop over there. It's amazing. And you're going to love it. They're really fun. Um, Yes. And next month is Patty Callahan's Becoming Mrs. Lewis. Patty is going to be popping over with special content videos and answers to your questions. And I was just going to mention really quickly, do not miss next Wednesday night because it's my cover reveal for Under the Southern Yay! Sky. And I'm so excited to share it with you guys. Um, I love it. And I, I can't wait to show it to you. I can't wait for you. We're lucky, the five of us, the other four of us, we've seen it, but you have been teasing people with the spine of the book. I no, somebody else did that on Instagram today. I was like, that's so cute. I love it. Yeah, I saw that. That was awesome. All right. We need to wrap it up. But Signe, I know this is pub week for you. Are there any last things where you can tell people where to find you and where you're going to be this week or anything like that? You can always go to my website, signiepike.com. I've got a bunch of other virtual events coming up, um, one at Litchfield Books and some other things coming down the pipeline. So you can find that all on my events page. And also we've got a great community on my Facebook author page on Instagram as well. Signe, we are so glad you came. It's been an amazing night, lady. Signe, you are a treat and a Celtic fairy yourself. <laughs> One more reminder to support our bookseller of the week, and the link is on our Friends in Fiction page, and you can use the code FRIENDS to get 10% off with a chance to win that amazing feather bone necklace. All right, ladies, anything else before we sign off? It just went so fast tonight. Where did the time yeah. Thank you, Signe. That was so fun. Was I was so excited you were coming, Signe. I'm just glad you were here. Happy yeah. Pub Week. And just for mm -hmm. one last thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a gorgeous yeah. cover? It's I just gorgeous. It. it is so gorgeous. Yeah. Matches yeah, even if you if you just stumbled on here and you don't read books, you should still buy that just to like yes. display in your house. I did have <laughs> <it over> <laughs> <there>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
even the spine is beautiful. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful book. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for spending your Wednesday night with us. We are friends in fiction, and that's a wrap. Good night. Good, Good night, night, guys. Good night, everybody. So, oh, that was fun. <laughs> you know, I wanted her. Okay, I'm bringing this I told her she has the brother. Buddha oh. is her dog. So she has his brother. Oh, and I, I said, you've got to bring your dog today. And she said, well, he's been kind of acting up. You know, I think, you know, we get so excited when our books come out. And her, Don't forget, Tuesday was just the day her book came out. Yeah. So she said, I don't think I can handle Buddha tonight. But it's so <laughs> nice, isn't it, Patty, when we go over and we get all the dogs together? It's crazy. Oh, I should bring Winnie. See, she'll she'll mess oh, up the whole nice thing. I wanted you to bring Winnie last time, next time. Next but time. her, she really, um, she dove in so deep with this book and it was it she she did claw her way through it because trying to match up all those historical as you historical authors know but the battles and so much and trying to make it real in terms of people and like i said the sense and the, the kissing you know the stuff that makes a story come alive that was that was a tough one and christy didn't it make you feel better when she said that she didn't plot. I mean, because that book is so complicated. Make you feel <laughs> yeah. better that she just like pantsed it through that part. I can't yeah. even process that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, crazy. I looked at your face, Kristen, your face was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no, no. She's like, no, you're going to have an anxiety attack or something. But Christy, with your historical, though, there are specific timelines, right? That you still have to follow. Yeah. That sets up, up a framework. I mean, that's why I was so confused by her saying that, because I feel yeah, like me too. Yeah. the outline, like with, with historical, the outline, even even just having like a timeline is sort of an outline. You know what I mean? That's right. But you know what? Maybe it's a little looser writing about something so far in the past, you know, because like when I'm writing historical, I, I'll know that on September 29th, 1941, such and such happened. There's probably oh, yeah. that's the big difference. Like the maybe the the time frames are a little bit looser, possibly. Oh, I never yeah. thought about it that way. That's well, and that's what I mean. Just doing this book that I just finished. It's like late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and I am a total pantser. So I just pantsed my way through it, and then I got to the end, and I was like, hmm, "This doesn't really work the way that my normal books do." And I had to redo the entire historical timeline because it was confusing. Because I really love to go back and forth in time, back and forth in time, back and forth in time. But when you're already writing a contemporary historical novel, really, it just, it's too much. So I had to totally redo it. So having an outline would have been a grand idea if I ever write another historical novel. But what I found really crazy is that, you know, I was really trying to work from primary sources. And I don't know if you guys have found this because you've done this so much more than I have. But so many of my primary sources, like when I went to go back them up, they were wrong. Yes. Oh, so I mean, and I think at some point, like you just some of that stuff, you just kind of have to let go a little bit and it has to suit your story. And Patty, you sort of walked me through this on this one major point that I was like, I could have really centered a story around this thing. And when I went to like actually go to the places and get the records, they don't exist. Uh, So it was crazy. 
And, and she did. She described what I did with becoming Mrs. Lewis, and even with the shipwreck book, because it's 1838, Surviving Savannah. I made sure that I had the major nodal points. So I always describe it like the book is a person, and the dates are the skeleton. You cannot mess with the dates. You cannot. Right. That's the real stuff. But you're right with the 600s. So somebody just made a comment. I'm reading, and it says, "Can." Sean just actually was from Sean, our beloved Sean. He said, people are asking, what is a panther? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's <laughs> people who write pamphlets. It's all of us. We show you now, but they would probably cancel. Let's clear that up, girls. Let's just clear this up. Let's clear this up. Christy, explain the difference. <laughs> a panther is someone who flies by the seat of their pants and... Um, just writes the story as it comes to them. Like, you don't know if it's the beginning or the middle or the end, you're just writing. And then you sort of are muddling your way through a plotter has like at least a basic outline. So, you know, sort of where your story is going to go before you get started. So one, I have sounds a to make. one sounds like evil and conniving and the other one sounds vaguely pornographic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, I have to confess, this is the first time I've ever been a pantser in what I'm writing now. I kind of know what's happening, but I've never done this before. And it's kind of freeing it's and it's kind of terrifying. It it's really is. Though. You get to just like, it doesn't feel like going to work. It feels like discovering a magical adventure today. Yeah. All right, I'll keep that in mind tomorrow morning. <laughs> I think I would sit down with terror in my heart, not having an outline. Well, I mean, but you are writing these extremely detailed historical, I mean, you have, you have to have, as I have now learned in retrospect. <laughs> I'll, I'll take, I'll take that now, but I also, have always outlined in detail. And I will tell you- I was you just gonna ask you if you outlined your first- Yes, and I will tell you that How to Sleep with a Movie Star did not require a super <laughs> long, like 30,000 word outline, but I did. That's what I did. That's how I write. <laughs> what was the research like for that? <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> I swear it's a novel. <laughs> not a real novel. Uh, Carolyn Levitt, who we're having soon, it was, was doing a- uh, this like writing tips and and having other people do them and I saw Paula McLean did one who we're also having in the spring but um, she said and I love this because of what we're talking about she said the um, to never try to make yourself be a different kind of writer than you are that that yeah. so for me to try and make myself be the kind of writer Kristen is with with that outline I I tried with the book I was um, yeah. thinking about starting and I was like, oh my God, like banging my head on the computer. So um, yes, I need some kind, but I, I think when we talk about these things, people try to, people think, oh, I need to do it just the way Christy did it or just right, the way. Right, right. But um, half the fun of being a writer is discovering what kind of writer you are. Yeah. Yeah. And it changes. Even yeah. from book to book, how you approach a novel based on what yeah. that story requires. That's yeah. true. I totally agree with that. I think that's extremely true. And especially like the more POVs you have and the more complex it becomes. And yeah, yeah you never know. You never yeah, know. Yeah, for the Book of Lost Names, my outline was actually a lot shorter because the research was more about the techniques, like the, the meat of the research was the techniques of the forgery. And that didn't belong in the outline. You know what I mean? Like some of my right. novels have 
been like the meat of the research is more like the sequence of events or, you know, how things could happen. But yeah, actually, that, that's a good point. It does change from book to book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Mary Alice, your dogs. They've been so good sitting underneath the desk, not barking during the show. So I had to, they were getting out of control. That one says, yeah. I feel like that when the dog steals the show, it's time for us to sign off. <laughs> I agree. And I agree. Right. It's, like when, it's like when Jennifer Aniston said she was really upset that everyone was talking about her haircut because obviously her acting was not that good. Perfect metaphor. I love you guys. I'll see you tomorrow. I love you too. Bye. Good night, everybody. Tomorrow morning. You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction Podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page, Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.